tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We go deep, homeboy. Open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That, 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 that's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. There's, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? And welcome to Tinfall Hat. Good morning, Swarm. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you. Uh, you know, usually introduce Xavier Guerrero. We don't know where he is. Once again, XG goes MIA. Who knows? Just pray to the big food truck in the sky that he is okay. Uh, word on the street is he's out trying to just get people pregnant, doing his Hispanic thing. But never, never his fear. Hispanic <laughs> My good friend, the one, the only on the ones and two, Johnny Woodard. How are you, Johnny? Good, man. Good, good, good. Living, Johnny, living we have a life. fun episode for them today, huh? Big gets time. A little excited at the yeah, end. Yeah, it gets huh? a little heated. Sam gets Daddy a little gets hot a little under the angry. collar. Yeah, a little hell. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Guys, I uh, have some shows coming up. I'm very excited that I am going to be uh, uh, I'm going to be in Cleveland, October 23rd. I'll be doing my one night, one show at Hilarities uh, in Cleveland. It is the uh, October. Friday, October 23rd at 9.30 p.m. One show. Come see Daddy. Come on, Cleveland. Show up and rock. And then I also have, I guess if you're in Europe, I have a show uh, on, I'm going to post this on the internet, but I have a, a show for Europe on, I'm doing a Zoom show for Europe this Sunday, I think at 1 p.m. Let me get the information. I should look that up, but that's great. And then the second week in November, I am in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia. Oh, fuck, I got to put that up. Anyways, I'll get you all those dates in the description down there. Guys, if you want to support the show, check out the uh, Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash hat daily doses. Uh, I talked about the comedy store doc last night, which was great. If you want to see me, there's four episodes left. I'm in three of them. So it's every Sunday night at the uh, uh, on Showtime. It is the Comedy Store doc. The first episode was amazing. The next four should be pure fire, okay? So you can check me out there. But again, uh, go to the patreon.com slash hat for your daily doses. And I do a lot of AMAs on there. Uh, if you want to listen to me battle a, a lizard person, have a fun debate, go to patreon.com slash uh, conspiracy social club to hear myself and Brian Callum discuss the latest in the world of conspiracies. Now, Johnny, you have a podcast called Broken Simulation. Everyone's been talking about it. It's where you and I just chop it up about the world that we live in. And that also has a Patreon. That is at what? Patreon.com slash Broken Simulation. That's it. Broken Simulation. Yeah, we'll be recording another one this week, and it will be up on the Patreon this week. So if you want to watch the next one. Get uh, some, son. Get some, okay? 
And I have a spiritual podcast. It's called Zero, and it's available right now on Rockfin. So you go to R-O-K-F-I-N.com slash zero and get spiritual. It is a great show, man. I have some wonderful people coming on to just help you deal with the chaos that you're in. And by the way, you know, hint, hint, the easiest way to deal with the world you're dealing with that you're living in is to get off the internet, stop watching social media, and stop watching the news. If you stop all that, it's amazing how the loving the world is, okay? Stop watching mainstream media and get off of social media, except for my Instagram, where I just put up funny memes, okay? <laughs> Outside of that, stop paying attention to everybody. Kill all the blue check marks. Kill them uh, all. Not all of them. Except for Johnny. Everybody else, take them out. Boom. Goodbye. No, don't really kill them. Just delete their, their – anybody with a blue check mark on a website you never heard of, delete, delete, delete. Stop following them, okay? What else do we got, Johnny? T-shirts. Go to T-shirt. You want to support the show? I got some great T-shirts coming out. We just put the new Swarm shirt out. Go to tinfoilhattshirts.com and check it out. So that's it. Uh, I'm very excited to have the, the our guest on, uh, Mark Steves. Uh, he is uh, helps me book a lot of the shows that I do, and we get into a very heated discussion. Uh, I love Mark Steves. Cool dude. Uh, cool dude. Great guy, and uh, ain't afraid to bang, dog. And I appreciate you. I just want to say one last real quick thing. There's been a lot of discussion about the last episode with the animal communicator. I just want to tell you guys, uh, there's a lot of doom and gloom out there. I really just want to give you guys something to take your minds off all the chaos in the world. And it's like, I know it's not lizard people or the deep state or, or Bill Gates or the Rothschilds, but man, it's fun. Just to, just take a moment, step back from all that chaos and have somebody talk about some fun stuff. And I know a lot of you guys are like, she brought up this, she brought up that didn't happen. Dude at my house is rubber ducky and an elephant. I'm just telling you, man. So just enjoy the shows. And guess what? If you don't like that stuff, don't listen to it. It's fine. I'm just trying to take your mind off all the chaos that we're living in. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a real fun, real fun discussion about Alistair Crowley. Enjoy the show. All right, so let's get into it, man. Uh, joining me, he has uh, been a frequent guest on uh, the Patreon and on my new podcast i told you about zero on a uh, rockfin and he's here he's uh helping me now book basically all my podcasts because uh life is very busy for me and he's doing a wonderful job and uh, i'm very excited he has a brand new podcast out called my family thinks i'm crazy please welcome mark steves how are you bud i'm doing great thanks for having me man really appreciate the opportunity um hope to inform you guys on the uh, devilish, dark, and really kind of misunderstood man known as Aleister Crowley today. It's very interesting, dude. Aleister Crowley's very interesting. You know, there's everyone's very passionate about him, depending on what angle you come from. He's definitely probably one of the most influential people on just pop culture, the occult, and I mean, just he—he he has his—he's he, his, made his mark on so much. So much of our society is very interesting, and his myth 
the myth that, and this is what we're going to get into today. So I'm super excited about it is almost Paul Bunyan like with the way people talk about what this guy has done, the who he was, who he worked for, the places he went. Just, it's very interesting. But before we get, tell us a little bit about your podcast. Well, my podcast is called My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Um, it's a little bit of everything that Sam talks about on the show with a little bit of kind of how we can improve our lives um, tangibly, like make uh, a career where you're not working for the man, you know, get a house where you're not, you know, flooded with bills, have a, a job that's, you know, self-sustaining and independent from this uh, machine. So it's halfway trying to like improve your life and halfway trying to understand the matrix that we're, that we're all in. So we cover like the, the basics of conspiracy in a kind of more educational way. And then we also just joke around and, and have fun and do some kind of experimental podcast. We went on a road trip to uh, New York City and kind of podcasted amidst the corona pandemic, you know, hoax. We saw crowds and crowds of people in New York City and we kind of commented on that. But uh, yeah, it's fun podcasts on Patreon. So go check it out. So uh, one thing I want to talk about uh, a lot about New York, uh, real quick about New York City. Um, New York City's got some pretty bad karma, I think. I think the city, uh, Johnny, have I talked about this before on the podcast, by the I, way? I don't, I don't think so, no. Because um, I know I talked about it on the Patreon, but I don't know if I talked about it here. And in the, the fact that New York City has bad karma. And this, the energy that is in New York City has been covered up by amazing art and amazing culture, amazing energy, uh, artistic people have all been a giant camouflage and smokescreen for some very dark energy. Now, does that mean I don't love New York City or like, you know, or I wish anything bad on it? No, not at all. But the truth of the matter is that Wall Street is the source of so much pain and suffering in the world. And, and, and what people have done in the name of stocks and, and, and capital, capital and stuff like that has caused a lot of death, a lot of suffering, a lot of rape and pillaging around the world. And yeah. you can't do that forever without... I believe the universe pushing back. Now, does that mean that, that that New York City deserves everything they're getting? I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying Wall Street ha has done a lot of damage to humanity in the name of profits for the stockholders. So you're always seeing stuff like, oh, this is going to happen in New York. This is going to go off in New York. This is going to go off. Just know like people in New York have totally known this very greedy epicenter has been in their city and everyone just kind of laughed it off because they were just enjoying a, a wonderful culture that is New York City and I'm just that's all I wanted to say about that there's a lot of occult in there a lot of darkness a lot of greed well, a lot of inflicting pain and suffering in New York City I does not mean I think New York's bad does not mean I think New Yorkers are bad I think there's just a small group of people that have done a lot of damage to the world in the name of greed and capital capital uh, capitalism and stuff like yeah. that so that's and my as we we'll get into today 
you'll see that Crowley left his mark on New York City. He frequented New York City throughout his life and uh, ultimately spent the remainder of his life um, in New York, not New York City, but um, he died in the United States. But anyway, so to so start let's get off, into this, dude. Who do you think uh, Alistair Crowley was? Well, he was somewhat of a, of an antichrist, so to speak. You know, he he definitely um, is kind of a misunderstood character. A lot of uh, extreme re- religious folks will paint him as like this ultimate satanist and the worst person ever. You know, walk the earth. Um, really what we'll get into today is to show you and the listeners how influential he was, um, throughout the 20th century and, you know, 21st century. So, you know, some of the, the short name of, uh, the short list of names I have here of people he, he knew and, uh, interacted with throughout his life, famous people, W.B. Yeats, Jack the Ripper. McGregor Mathers, Aldous Huxley, Jack Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard, Kenneth Anger, Rudolf Hess, Ian Fleming, George Walker Bush, Alfred Kinsey, and Edward Bernays. So to, you know, conspiracy-minded folks, those are, you know, that's a hot list of people right there. Well, go, you know? Let's go down them a little bit because there's a couple names there that already I'm like, are you serious? The first one that popped out to me, because this is just me, is Jack the Ripper. Same, yeah, same. Yes. So we, right, well, I'll say just, really quickly, do we, we know who Jack the Ripper is for sure? I mean, there's been well, so many theories on who Jack the Ripper could be. Could be like there was also this belief that it was like a bunch of royals running satanic yeah. dark arts yeah. and cults, ritual sacrifices. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you guys pointed that name out because that allows me to kind of intro Alistair's life because this was kind of one of the more uh, early accounts of, of you know, his interactions with the famous person. So Alistair Crowley was born into a very, very strict religious Christian family. They were completely anti-pleasure to the point of like no sex, you know, no enjoyment in sex. It was purely procreation. And and that kind of laid the foundation for his like angst and wanting to express his sexuality. So, you know, what they say, dude, is that Republicans make Democrats and Democrats make Republicans. Well, his father, it's funny, his father was the son of a very, very wealthy man. And his father, you know, used that financial freedom to preach. You know, he was a member of the church and um, he died at when Alistair was 11 years old. So Alistair had this huge like rift in his life left open where he from then on began to question everything he learned about Christianity after his father died and became a, a rebel in school. And part of this rebellion was sexual, you know, engagements. He went and uh, engaged with prostitute at the age of 15. And then after that, and here's where Jack the Ripper comes in. He had sex with, now, like I said, Alistair Crowley born into a very wealthy family. They had maids around the mansion. Alistair was having sex with, a maid on his mother's bed his mother caught him this is where he got the term you know beast his mother called him a beast and uh this woman this maid was fired she became a prostitute and then subsequently was murdered by jack the ripper now this is all according to alistair crowley himself who you know 10 year 10 or so years later 
after he had, you know, done many things and was already involved with secret, you know, groups like the Freemasons, he allegedly met a man named Robert Durston. Now, Robert Durston claimed himself to be Jack the Ripper. And during the murders of Jack the Ripper, he was checking himself in and out of an insane asylum. So some researchers say that this, you know, was a way for him to cover and have a cover story so that he would never be found as Jack the Ripper. And being that Aleister Crowley and him were both Freemasons, he would have felt confident to, you know, divulge this information to Aleister, knowing that he was, you know, held to the same oath of secrecy. So Aleister said that Jack the Ripper, a.k.a. Robert Dunstan, gave him a token, a bloody rag from the murder of the very maid that Aleister Crowley had sex with on his mother's bed. Now, this is all according to Aleister Crowley, and he's been known to exaggerate, but it's a, it's a very uh, riveting. What, what, um, what age did he hook? Do you know what age he hooked up with that maid at? So Aleister was born in 1875, okay? Wow. And the murders, the Jack Ripper murders, happened in 1888. Alistair had sex with this woman around that time. Like he was only 14 or 15 when he was engaging with this woman. That would have been, you know, around the five year period or so that the Jack the Ripper murders occurred. So it's, you know, the timeline fits, um, the circumstances fit. He, he was living close to Whitehall, which is where the Jack the Ripper murders took place largely. Uh, Whitehall Square, I believe, in London. So, yeah, that, that would be one of the more notable uh, interactions that Alvis, or Al, Alistair had with, with history. That's like, you know what kind of balls you got to have to try to bang your maid when you know your mom's home? I mean, that's got to <laughs> be balls. Well, you see, Alistair was pretty deranged. He uh, admitted himself in his confessions that around the, age, the same age, like, when this was happening and after his father died, he was curious about the nature of uh, cats and if they truly had nine lives. So oh. in typical serial killer fashion, he went and, you know, abused and tortured this poor house cat that they had. And um, he wrote about it saying, like, I only did it for the pure scientific, you know, curiosity and he, he did kind of express slight remorse but i mean that right there shows his uh his true narcissistic psychopathic you know personality from a very early age when your parent like so i i'm kind of the first generation even though my parents didn't get divorced till later where divorce became very rampant uh all my friends got their parents all got divorced. I think my parents were one of the few that didn't get, get divorced. And, um, but they all did. And I can tell you without a doubt, it was traumatizing on people. So your dad passing away, I can't even understand what kind of psychological effect that must have. They say, even when you're like much older, when your last parent passes away, you get kind of this thing where it's like, oh, fuck, I'm, an, I'm like an orphan right now. And it doesn't even matter what age you're at. Yeah. That so, your parents gone. So, I mean, being 11 and losing your dad must be just traumatizing. Yeah. And, and on top of that, I mean, you considering the strict religious upbringing, I mean, it really created this catalyst of sexual kind of revolt that characterized his early 
adulthood when he was in high school he was a part of a very very sort of uh strict religious you know no masturbation no homosexuality boy school you know those were very like stressed things like masturbation was seen as the same thing as homosexuality so you know i just know when you make that rule but everybody's breaking it by the way just because you made the rule they're like no masturbation no anal that night everybody's going to town. I'm telling you, the, when you, they've actually done studies where like when you outlaw something, you make people want to do it more. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is, is during the time that Alistair was a young man, uh, the poet Oscar Wilde was going through a controversy where he was being accused of homosexuality. And at those times it was a crime punishable, um, in England at least. And, um, and yeah, so he was inspired to some degree by Oscar Wilde. And um, during this time at school, he participated in sodomy with other boys. And uh, apparently it was like maybe not high school, but college. That led to him having some trouble where he had to switch schools. And eventually he landed, uh, landed at Cambridge, right? So this is a school for very, you know, wealthy or influential you know ingenious people uh in england and at the time it was like the height of society and alistair crowley rolled in those circles and it's here where he allegedly developed the intelligence secret service connections that characterized his you know life in you know his interactions with people throughout world war one and two but um one of the more interesting things about him that kind of created this spiritual uh, ideal for him was his love of mountaineering, right? He was such a successful mountain climber. He climbed probably close to a hundred mountains. And uh, this is all before the age of like 23, he's doing this. And um, he climbed the mountain K2, which I sent a, a picture of that. It's, it's impressive. If you haven't seen the mountain, it's, it's truly impressive. And, and on uh, one of his trips, apparently he, um, he was known as such a bold climber that people didn't like climbing with him because he would just kind of jump up and go off on his own if you weren't catching up with him. And uh, there was some kind of argument and his climbing party was like, all right, Alistair, you go off on your own. And and he kind of sets up his tent in a different place and he's sitting there and the, the legend goes, he's sitting there sipping tea and reading a book as an avalanche comes down the mountain and kills the climbers who just kicked him out of the party. So he had a sort of fortuitous luck that uh, really followed him throughout his adventures. And that he is really just crazy. Mountain climbing is by far one of the most, I mean, you just gotta be super neurotic to do it, right? Like it's not, like when you climb like Mount Everest, like you literally pass dead bodies and like people just keep going. It's like, yeah, turn at the frozen Asian, go up 20 feet. You'll see like this dead chick. That's when you know you got to take a left and go on. And it's just like, and just nobody cares. And then you see these guys who like climb, like climb, climb up the side of a mountain with no like straps. That to me is chaos. Yeah. It's just chaos. Well, I mean, he's- He's doing all of this in the turn of the century. So, like, imagine the climbing gear they had in the late 1800s. It was probably almost as similar to climbing at freehand, you know? Oh, yeah. But um, 
Hold so, on. Anyway. So, so is he like, you know, we hear, we hear that he's a, a spy. We hear that he's mountain climbing. I mean, was this dude shredded? I mean, cause every Crowley picture we see, he looks like your vice principal, right? Like he well, never looks like, we never see like shredded Crowley. And he just jack tweaking nipples, hanging out like back then where he'd be rich enough that he would just be wearing that. Like, Tell me that does not look like Barbara Bush. I don't want to get into that right now, but Jesus, that like Johnny, dude. if you could pull up the picture of uh, him as a younger man, there, there's him as a younger man. Um, yeah, he he was definitely in shape. I mean, to climb K two, you can't be fat. That's for sure. I think I think the drug use in his later life led to him being a little, you know, unhealthy. But uh, but no, he by all means i mean he was that guy would so guy. be an antifa today like he would <laughs> so be like well, in portland throwing co- molotov cocktails at like some mom and pop pizza place for fuck sure you pigs fuck you pigs fuck you guys you fucking fascists and then goes back to his fucking parents house in some fucking uh you know Man, not, not, community not his parents but yeah. It's one parent. Sorry, yeah, John. Considering, parent. you know, his father uh, left him a huge inheritance. Uh, by all accounts, Alistair Crowley didn't work a day in his life, maybe there until the age of, of 30. So, yeah, he would have fit right in with all these Antifa social justice warriors who are all there with their parents' trust fund, for it's sure. It's so easy to be an occult-like master when you don't have to, like, deliver pizzas. <laughs> You know, or yeah, like man. work at work at Barnes and Noble, right? When yeah. you can like focus. I wonder how many like really great like like shaman out there just never could get anything going because they just couldn't quit their day job because they had to stay at work. Like, like wasn't Gandhi a rich from a rich family? Like, how many of these like? I mean, it didn't even like uh, Allah. No, what's his name? Who, who's the uh, in in um Islam is the Muhammad, right? He's supposedly like a royal. Like, it's just crazy. Like, how many well, trust Buddha. fund kids get Buddha into, was. like, being spiritual? It's, like, really crazy, right? I mean, it's nuts. The the Buddha was um, was a rich man who, you know, with his freedom, and he, he sought out enlightenment. But um, as far as Muhammad, I, I'm not sure about that. But, but yeah. Are there Crowley, any Buddhist you know, temples in the ghetto? Have you ever been like <laughs> deep into Compton and been like Popeye's chicken and then see like a Buddhist temple right next to it? There's a story actually I heard on uh, Radio Lab when I used to listen to that shit podcast uh, about oh, how. <laughs> you're right, <laughs> about, Sam. Uh, Sorry, you were, just real quick. I'll interject. Uh, you're right. He was. Uh, a part of the, the, I can't even say this word, uh, Karas tribe, and one of Mecca's, uh, that was one of Mecca's prominent families. So, yeah, he was born into a prominent family in Mecca, Muhammad. Well, you know, I mean, Queen Elizabeth says she's related to him. I mean, like, that's some, like, straight-up lizard shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a story about a, a Buddhist temple being built in a ghetto in like San Francisco, Oakland area, and it kind of had a uh, effect on the community in a positive way. They they talked about it in uh, in oh, I uh, bet radio you know what they did. Like spiritual gentrification. <laughs> yeah, I bet you a bunch of Buddhist monks did shrooms with black people. That's what I think happened. <laughs> well, you know that. That needs to happen. I mean, you've stressed that point many times this this past <laughs> month. 
<laughs> All right, guys, I want to tell you about our good friends at Proactive. Dude, listen to me. I love Proactive. I use it myself. It's the number one acne brand in America for adults 18 to 34 who have acne and are looking to clear their skin up by visiting. Just visit their website and become a Proactive subscriber. Guys, I'm being honest with you, man. I've been using Proactive for a while, man. I, I, I used to get just giant welts on my neck, my nose. And dude, I'm telling you, Proactive honestly saved me. I, 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 that's the best endorsement you'll ever get, man. I, I was just could not get away from these zits and from stress in my life. And I started using ProAcne and it helped to make all go away. If you got bad acne out there, man, I'm telling you, ProActive really, really helped, man. Um, ProActive has, um, no matter what type of breakout you got, ProActive has you covered. ProActive combines three gentle skincare paired with the best acne treatment for your skin. Proactive has three different types designed for your type of skin, okay? The three different systems designed for your skin is one, we got Proactive Solution, the original system suitable for all skin, Proactive Plus for sensitive type skins, and Proactive MD, prescription strength for stubborn breakouts, okay? So this is what's going to happen, man, because I can't recommend Proactive enough. What I'd like you guys to do, this is an exclusive offer, one time for the Swarm, okay? Uh, just for our listeners, you can get an exclusive offer only available by going to Proactive, that's P-R-O-A-C-T-I-V.com slash Sam, Proactive Survivors will receive the Hydrated Duo as a free gift that's including four hydrogel masks and the green tea moisturizer. You also get free shipping. Again, visit proactive.com slash Sam to take advantage of the special offer. That's proactive.com slash Sam and subscribe to Clear Skin. Back to Crowley. I mean, he, he was climbing mountains. He was at Cambridge University, which, like I said, and you kind of alluded to, definitely uh, created the kind of atmosphere for him to be involved with uh, secret services and intelligence, which at that time in Victorian England was a very you know, thing to do for people of his class and stature. It was not seen as like, you know, the way it is today since the cold war where spies are you know adjacent to the military at that point in time being a spy was the same thing as being like a diplomat or, or an ambassador i mean through sheer you know ability to travel throughout the world crowley was you know valuable as a spy just because of his own personal finances and his his interest in traveling um and his friendships with people who were involved with the intelligence services i mean that's that's where a lot of uh a lot of people suppose that his connections are namely Richard Spence, who wrote a very interesting book. Um, but anyways, so yeah, he, the reason I think that's interesting is because the intelligence services love to infiltrate all these kind of powerful organizations and movements. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's my theory that I guarantee you somebody I know in the comedy scene in LA is it is intelligence especially yeah. like you know watching that showtime special i'm like this place is so big there's no way that the like intelligence didn't try to get in there just to understand you know i i have my theories too about china sending people into the comedy store because there's been like there's two straight out of china 
people there, Chinese, that, but they're never there at the same time. It's like really weird. I'm like, how come I never see you and you together? And it's just really weird, man. Um, Wait, what, I, what do you suggest? I'm, I don't quite understand what you're suggesting, why they wouldn't be there at the same time. What do you think? I don't know, man. It's just because one was there for a while and then they disappeared and then suddenly the other one shows up and then he's there for a while. He gets fired and then almost, she comes back again. Almost like they're getting rotated or something. Dude, we're not saying names here, but yes. <laughs> I've already told them that. And then the other one is White Trash Amber. So, I, so I mean, because we know that, like, that. China sends uh, – they have – they have they basically pay for your college to come over to America, and they put them in – very powerful institutions. I mean, we've yep. MIT. How many times have we heard MIT having like Chinese spies there? I mean, like fentanyl. Like fentanyl was invented at MIT, which I don't understand why it's invented. And then it was smuggled back to China through, a, through an MIT professor scientist. Yeah. So we know they do it in all the academic. And then we've heard about the CIA in, in pop culture. Why wouldn't somebody be in the comedy store well why wouldn't they be in secret magical organizations like the golden dawn for example the group that alistair crowley was initiated into in 1898 at the, the young golden age dawn of, i like yes, that that's the, a great name for a bowling team by the way the order of the golden dawn it's a uh, semi-freemasonic organization and and yeah there's been um Many people who have suggested that, you know, the occult and secret intelligence services have always been hand in hand, namely because John Dee was the royal astrologer for the queen and he translated the Anakian language of the angels and so on and so forth and helped create this ceremony magic that Aleister Crowley then carried the torch into the 20th century with. So, yeah, it all goes back, and the spooks of the CIA have had their hands in, you know, many, many, many pockets. But Aleister Crowley, by all accounts, was not paid by any sort of secret service, you know, group. He was simply doing it volunteer, you know, for his own kind of interests. I mean, he, he enjoyed manipulating people. He enjoyed practicing this kind of pseudo magical psychology that he's learning and practicing through his magical theory. And, um, and at that time, you know, he was a nationalist. He, he believed in England uh, as being like a powerful country that would lead the world, uh, you know, the, be the guiding light of the world, so to speak. And, and he believed in that. And that, you know, we're jumping a little bit ahead here when I... No, don't jump this. ahead. Don't jump ahead. We, no, I'll just foreshadow. Like I mean, eventually uh -huh. that led to him uh, being a part of one of the world's first uh, psyops. So, but we'll, we'll save that for, for a little bit. So, so in the Golden Dawn, he becomes... Hold on, dude. Hold on. I forgot one thing. And everyone's... Let him talk. You listed a bunch of people that he met. Can you go through that list again? Because yeah. there was Jack the Ripper and then there was someone a little later that I thought was really interesting as well. And by the way, you mentioned George Bush. That would be his grandfather. No, no, no. That would be his father-in-law, right? George Bush Jr., that's his grandpa. George Bush I Sr., said, that's his father-in-law. Yeah, I, I said George Walker Bush, who would be the grandson of Aleister Crowley. 
Okay. Yes. But uh, some other notable people on the list, um, Aldous Huxley, Jack Parsons, L. Ron Hubbard, Kenneth Anger, Ian Fleming, Alfred Kinsey, Edward Benet's. Um Edward Benet's was the gentleman who invented uh, marketing, right? Isn't that the guy who is son- the center of the uh, Century of Me doc? He was the nephew of Sigmund Freud, and yes, yeah. he, he furthered this sort of psychological um, you know, manipulation uh, through marketing. And, and he was you know, pen pals and exchanged a lot of letters with Aleister Crowley. I don't know to what degree they, they met in person, but I know they were definitely associated. Um, that's but, definitely yeah, that, something that's not around anymore is pen pals. When was the last time you were like, this is my pen pal, unless it's somebody in prison, nobody's doing pen pals, right? Okay. Yeah. People in prison and, and children, you're spending a, a, the price of a cup of coffee a day. Those are the only people you're pen paling <laughs> with. Nobody else pen pals. Everything else is slipping into DMS. That's it. Yeah. That's all you do now. Right. But Edward Bernays is very interesting because his nephew is a was one of the founders of what? Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. And Netflix is like the new the like the globalization of television. Like for yeah. the first time ever everybody's getting the same kind of programming all over the world. And what they yeah. actually did also- is during during Corona, hold on one second. What they actually did during Corona was they started just picking great shows from all these other countries and basically swapping them out to others. And so, cause they were running out of content cause nobody was shooting anything. So that even enforces more of this globalization of entertainment. And I'm going to tell you something that Netflix changed the world because like I used to gig in China. I won't do it anymore, but I used to get, and I love the Chinese. I just don't know what's going on between the U.S. and China. But the Chinese, uh, the first time with the China, they didn't get any of my references. None of the expats got any reference that I had. The second time I went, which was about five or six years later, Netflix was everywhere. They got every reference I did. Well, Netflix became popular after the Smith-Month Act was revoked and propaganda was not just restricted to military So before that, you had the military, you know, creating all the propaganda in movies. And after that, they're like, oh, yeah, let Soros create propaganda. Let let Bill Gates create propaganda. Let's put it on Netflix. I mean, dude, Netflix has gotten so dark lately, dude. Everything's like, I killed the family next door. I married my mother's murderer, you know? And it's just like. Cannibalism show, and that was like the big red flag for me. You remember that? That uh, stupid cannibalism show. Johnny, is his sound weird? Yeah, it sounds like he's underwater or something. Yeah, your sound changed for some reason. All right. Well, if you want, I could keep going with uh, Crowley. Oh, no. What were we just talking? Oh, yeah. Netflix. Uh, The cannibalism thing. Uh, Cuties. How much of that, Uh, Sam, when you see – because I I get a lot of that dark shit you're talking about too. How much of that is – do you think is based on viewing habits? Because I know some people, like I, I've been to friends' houses and they're Netflix. None of, like literally none of the same programs are being That's a great point, Johnny. It could be that as well. But the, the programming is on there. So, I mean, when, when, so when you do the previews, right? And you just like, this is coming up, this is coming up, this is coming up. 
I guess they know what you watch, but they're usually previewing their big shows coming. I could be wrong, but it seems no, like there's I think a lot you're totally right. Yeah. A lot of murder, a, a lot. lot of a lot of like it's just like all the weird shit, you know, and Obama being there. Uh Susan Rice is on the board. It's like so weird. But yeah, That's it's cool. a lot of darkness. Okay, back to Alistair Crowley, dude. Is he did we lose him again? Sure. Oh huh? no, where is he? I see Hello? him fine. Okay, I don't. Okay, I, I don't see him that well. But here we go. All right, now he's back. Now he's back. So let's get into the. You were talking about the um, Golden Dawn, the Golden Dawn, and becoming the B six six six. Can we get in a little bit of that? Yeah. So Alistair Crowley, like I said, he gets initiated into the Golden Dawn. There, he becomes friends with a man named McGregor Mathers, who's a very famous occultist. He's wrote, written um, a lot of books on ceremonial magic, and uh, that becomes a, a huge mentor in Crowley's you know, early beginnings as a spiritual skeptic. I mean, really, Crowley was one of the first people to take the scientific method and apply it to spirituality. He really, you know, he wasn't into the fluff. He cut right down to the meat. And, um, you know, some people characterize this as like kind of being a hack, but I think really he was very earnest in his, uh, his, his yearning to understand and have full total knowledge. So, he meets McGregor Mathers. That helps him on his journey there in the Golden Dawn. He also becomes enemies with another famous mystic named W.B. Yeats, a poet, mystic. So, you know, Crowley very early on, he's seen by his contemporaries as kind of like a bold, narcissist, egotistical, you know, he'll stop at nothing. You know, he's very, very determined, has a very strong will, right? And uh, and he's very magnetic magnanimous he he likes to meet women he likes to do all the things drink wine you know he's very much uh an indulgent person so he travels to new york city right he's got all this money from his father's inheritance so he's able to have the freedom to pursue spirituality completely right so he travels to new york city and then goes to mexico and in mexico he goes by the name of Achilles O'Rourke. So this is interesting because this kind of suggests that Crowley had uh, other intentions on going to Mexico than just spiritual seeking. I mean, at the time, America was fighting Spain, you know, had just won the, the, the battle in Spain and, and got Texas and all these states from Mexico. So, so it was an interesting time. For Mexico and, and American history, and uh, you know, it's really interesting is the the uh, Mormons moved to Utah because it was a part of Mexico, and they're like, we're gonna get away from the U.S. government, and they moved to Utah, and because they were in Mexico, and they were just gonna like, we're gonna do our own thing, f you guys, and then it got annexed by the United States. And, you know, going back to that whole, uh, the whole stuff about Tataria and the thoughts of that, the reason the U.S. never went past the Mississippi for a long time, because that was all part of the Tatarian, um, the Tatarian Empire for a very long time. It's just an interesting thing, dude. And to go down to Mexico when he was there, man, it's kind of crazy. And it's just like, imagine going to a country 
looking like the people that just defeated you. And you're like, what are you supposed to do? Hang out? And everyone's like, are you American? No, I'm bloody fucking, uh, you know, and he starts doing a different, well, I mean, he's British, but it's like, it's got kind of weird. Cause I remember being, I still am American, but like right after the invasion of the Iraq war, man, I went to Australia and dude, Americans were not, they were not happy with us. And it's yeah. probably the only time I've ever lost a heckling battle because I conceded it was me versus a bar. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take an L on this one because the entire, because the entire bar had turned on me because I, I'd asked if they'd ever fought in a war. They're like, we fought in your fucking bloody war. I was like, okay, man, time to move on. We <laughs> lost this one, dude. So I couldn't imagine being Crowley in Mexico after the, after the U.S.-Mexican war, dude. That's got to be crazy. Yeah, I, he didn't really have that much trouble. I mean, people in his class seemed to get along with other people of that same wealth status, no matter what the country is, you know? It's like nationalism only exists in the lower rungs of classes. Of, of classes. It doesn't exist once you get to that type of wealth. They're all playing the same game at that yeah, level. Yeah, that's so but, uh, true, dude. That's so, they always say in LA, man, they're always like, oh, these people run it, these people run it. And, you know, somebody told me I got to say his name, but he said, you know, I realize who runs, uh, runs Hollywood? Private school kids. Everybody went to private schools. And there's just a certain way you carry yourself when you've been to a private school, the way you talk, the way you interact. It's Secret just handshake. Yeah. Yeah. So Crowley, I mean, Crowley was a private school kid and he had his influence on Hollywood. You know, we might get there towards the end, but, um, but yeah, so he goes to Mexico and there he meets a man named Don Jesus Medina. So Don Jesus Medina was a Freemason. Um, and he's so impressed by Alistair Crowley's knowledge of ritual magic that he initiates him as a 33 degree Mason of the Scottish Rite Freemasonry, oh, uh, which stop. existed. He went right to 33? Well, yeah, because the Golden Dawn, like I said, was uh, was kind of similar to Freemasonry. So Crowley did have the knowledge of uh, the degrees of Golden Dawn, which were kind of analogous to Freemasonry. So he was able to. And, and at this time, you know, if you're influential and have enough money, like you can just get ponied up to the highest degree. I mean, it wasn't That's a matter crazy. of rich kids get everything. Yeah, I mean, really, his story is a, is is kind of uh, one of of a rich kid with uh, yeah, going across the world with impunity, really. Um, but yeah, so he's in he's in Mexico, and that's where he discovers what will characterize the rest of his life: peyote, right? This psychedelic uh, cactus that has amazing abilities to you know send you into multi-day hallucinations and this was perfect for his the type of rituals he liked to do and um you know before he went to uh mexico he purchased this house in scotland on loch ness right so this house in scotland he was planning it perfectly right this house had to face the south it had to be you know such and such to you know, color and everything was perfect. This house that he bought in Loch Ness was perfect for this ritual that he was planning. It's a hundred or a 18 month ritual called the ritual of Abramelin. So this is a ritual that according to Aleister Crowley, 
connects you with your holy guardian angel, right? Your, your higher self. And before you're able to do this, you have to conjure the 12 demons who guard hell and banish them. So, you know, now we're getting into ceremonial magic. Oh, like Alistair learned in the Golden Dawn and Freemasonry, right? This sort of draw a pentagram on the floor, stand within it, draw a circle and a triangle, summon the demon and, and you know, have him follow your orders so and so you know dude i used to hear about kids doing that all the time wasn't that kind of like you know just this kind of like what are those called urban legends right where kids would just be like yeah and you i was like fuck no dude i don't know man well you were young you were young during the 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 satanism scare right sam oh yeah man but i remember Three fat girls came to school dressed all in black, and they told everybody they were witches. And dude, the whole <laughs> the whole school freaked out. And I remember going, "They're just goth chicks. Like, what are we doing here?" You see, my generation well, had that. My generation had that movie, The Craft, and it was all the girls just start. You remember that movie, The Craft, with those three hot chicks yeah. where they were like witches, and every 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 popular girl just started dressing like that for about a year. Uh, it wasn't scary. Well, Sam, you're you're from uh, the Burndover district, which is you know famous for being a spiritualist hub in the uh, 19th century. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's sort of uh, geographical karma associated with witchcraft that kind of still freaks people out to this day. I mean, that place is legendary for for spiritualism. I mean, Nexium's out of where I, I mean, Nexium was just a couple hours away from where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. What the burnt over district is is very interesting. The Fox sisters are from there, and uh, they were a big part of the spiritualist movement of the 1900s. The kind of thing where Ouija boards and seances became very fashionable uh, amongst the aristocrats. But uh, but yeah, Crowley was no stranger to this kind of thing, and and he was you know working on this abramelin ritual for I think six months until it got interrupted and, and this ritual it, it conducted you know through all hours of the day he's exhausting himself on drugs doing these sort of uh, masturbatory sex rituals sometimes <laughs> with a partner sometimes Imagine that was your job <laughs> i mean he had the financial freedom to make this his job believe yeah. it or not. my he, job is to do coke and jerk off okay <laughs> It's an honest living. Sam, I think you gave that a real good shot. Huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mastered that. I became a 33-level Coke jerk-off master. So I said, you know what, I have to, I'm done. I'm moving on. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, it's uh, no surprise that you're doing tinfoil hat now. But, <laughs> but yeah, he, he, definitely, um, he definitely summoned something – that he was not able to handle because to this day, Loch Ness is known as a very strange place. And he stopped this ritual six months in uh, after meeting this woman, Rose Kelly. Rose Kelly was in an arranged marriage and he, you know, freed her from this arranged marriage. And because of that, uh, he kind of felt like she owed him something, right? (laughs) And Crowley was known... um, in his time to be quite the sexist and um, misogynist. He did not treat his partners very fairly, both men and women that he slept with. He abused 
to some degree emotionally and physically. Um, but anyways, Rose Kelly kind of uh, dofully was pulled along on their honeymoon and, and Crowley very selfishly chose for them to honeymoon in Egypt, in Cairo. And they... Uh, Here we go. This is what I've been hearing so much about. Exactly. So, so in Egypt, Crowley sets off to spend, I think it was three or so, seven maybe days in the king's chamber, right? So he's in the king's chamber of Egypt. And like I said, financial freedom, obviously this guy has some pull if he's able to, you know, turn the pyramids into his own personal Airbnb, you know, like nobody can even go in the king's chamber currently. I mean, now it's off limits, but back then there was more freedom for people of his uh, wealth and status. So he was able to hold on. So you need to also say there's only been a couple people allowed in this chamber. And from what I've been told before, two of them are Napoleon Hitler. And then of course, Aleister Crowley. Yeah, the three uh, alleged antichrists. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> Johnny, if you yeah. could go in that chamber right now, would you do it? No. I <laughs> mean, neither. Dude. I'm, no. like, I'm good, dude. I don't want to know any of that shit, dude. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, Tinfall Hat, you guys are so great. Hey, everybody. I'm the big chicken snake guy in the sky. I love your podcast. Uh, would you like to go King's King's Chamber? Uh, no, Chicken Snake Guy. I don't want to go. I'm happy staying here in L.A. No, thank you. I, I don't want to go I, here. I try to talk XG into going, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> XG, would you like to go? Oh, yeah, dude. That'd be great. Me. Can we do a George Perez story from there? Yeah. <laughs> go have a good time. Go have a good time, dude. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, in the King's Chamber, this is where Aleister Crowley begins what will then be known as Thelema, his, his religion that he created, right? And it starts with this kind of uh, channeling. So Rose Kelly, she, you know, she's there. She doesn't really seem interested. Crowley's kind of a bully in the sense that he's just like, oh, come on, Rose, let's do this. You know? Sounds and, like every relationship, doesn't it? <laughs> like every relationship. The guy's like, let's do it. I don't want to. I, just, I don't care. You go do it. I'm going to stay here. You know, so it's like yeah. nothing, nothing. So, so maybe like a few days into them spending time in the King's chamber, she just comes out of nowhere and says to him, uh, Alistair, they're waiting for you. And he, you know, he's, like I said, he's a spiritual skeptic. This man took meticulous notes. He was very interested in, you know, results and being able to prove those results. So he questions her. He says, who's waiting for me? You know, and he, he goes through this kind of series of questioning with her to try to figure out if she's really receiving a message from who she, who she says he is, uh, she is. So she, he takes her to the museum in Cairo and says, okay, where is he? If he's speaking to you, where is he? We're talking about Horace here. Horace is supposedly chan- being channeled through Rose Kelly. And she's able to pick Horace out out of the, you know, hundreds of statues that are in this museum. And she's able to name like certain characteristics about him that she wouldn't have known, you know, because she really wasn't interested in this stuff to begin with. So this is when Crowley realizes, oh, I've got it. Now it's time to, you know, finish this ritual. So 
he's doing the ritual in the king's chamber and he begins channeling the book of the law and it comes to him in three chapters and he writes it down uh, and it's channeled to him through this being that he calls Iwas, spelled A-I-W-A-S-S, -S, right? So he channels this and writes this book of the law and this becomes like the main document for the religion of Thelema, right? <laughs> and this is his great, you know, kind of gift to the world. He takes everything he learned in Freemasonry and the Golden Dawn, and he applies it to this Thelemic religion. And um, 10 years later, I mean, well, in the meantime, then he begins like this huge journey he's going through asia he's going everywhere during which uh rose has a baby who then dies um i think their child died at a young age and this kind of stuck with alistair the rest of his life um kind of a thorn in his side losing this kid uh on a journey through asia really he was such a narcissist that you could kind of blame him because he he took his family on this trip when really you know people weren't traveling that to that degree oh with a baby too dude yeah yeah think about it the early 1900s pre-world war one he's going through india china you know he goes from japan all the way through to you know Kathmandu. so like he's very you know extensive in his travels and it's all for this kind of spiritual mission that he's on oh um, god but oh, yeah, man, man, I couldn't bring my kids like that. That is, that's a level of psychopath when you're like, no, grab the baby. We're going to the mountains in a third world country. What could go wrong? Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Oh man. It's just effing ridiculous, dude. Was it a boy or a girl? Does anyone know? Uh, I think it was a girl. I'm not sure. But oh. He had, he had, I think he had four kids in total throughout his life and three of them, you know, lived to their adulthood. But, um, but yeah, he, he divorces Rose Kelly in uh, 1910. And then after that, he begins like really a long stint writing. He writes uh, this book that I have here with me, uh, Lieber Abba. It's his. Okay. Uh, hold on real quick. Okay, we're going to get into this. Imagine being the judge at the Alistair Crowley divorce proceedings. <laughs> and why, Miss Kelly, why do you want to leave him? He channeled God through me, and he may, and he just worships this evil stuff, and all these demons keep coming over, and it's like not fun, not fun at all. And he's making me go to these horrible places that have, like, really bad food, and it's just like, God. Damn, like, ma dude, imagine trying to get cussed here, kids, being Alistair Crowley. Yeah, yeah, yeah occasionally I summon demons, but I leave that at the office. I don't bring it home. I'll bring it home. I just summon demons over there at my office, and then I come home, and it's just all about the kids. She knows that. Oh, she hates the demons. She doesn't hate spending all my demon money that I make with the demons, huh? Huh? How do you think she got a new car? You think, who paid for that? Demons paid for that. Okay, it's just ridiculous. Now, what is this book again? I'm gonna get killed on this. His thing. wife got pretty fucked up by this whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of, I mean, not just her. Many, many of the people that he was in relations with um, were traumatized afterwards. I mean, he was just persistent, very persistent in his, uh, you know, magical rituals. Like he, if you were a part of his life, you were doing drugs with him. You were participating in these sort of 
sex rituals with them. So he's and- basically the Kardashians of his day, where anybody <laughs> that dated any of them just ended up crashing and burning. Yeah, I mean, he, I, as we'll get into, hopefully, if we have enough time here, uh, he was kind of like the forerunner for what MKUltra became through his experience, experiments. Like I said, he got peyote in um, Mexico, one of the first people to travel to Europe with peyote. Uh, and then he was able to find sort of like a peyote um, analogous substance that these chemists made for him. But uh, he ended up giving peyote to Aldous Huxley, who went on to inspire the psychedelic revolution, uh, Timothy Leary and Terence McKenna, right? Aldous Huxley was a big inspiration for those two. And and Aldous Huxley only learned about this stuff through Aleister Crowley. So there That's we crazy. And he did a lot in Hollywood. I mean, we're not going to have enough time to get to that today. I think we're going to talk about on the on the Patreon. We'll we'll get to some of the Hollywood stuff that Alistair Crowley was up to. But um, but Mark, yeah, what was, was the book you were going to show us? Yeah, you grabbed a book right here. So this is his book. It's called Lieber Abba. It's a uh, you know kind of like a compilation of all of his more practical works on magic in theory and practice, and um, you know. Alistair, like I said, alluded to in the beginning, he's known as like a very sinister person. But um, as far as like, you know, why I wanted to talk about this on the podcast, I really tried to find some kind of connection between Alistair Crowley and the whole satanic ritual abuse, pedogate stuff that we're seeing in Hollywood and, uh, and politics. And it really, I mean, as far as Alistair himself, there's no evidence to suggest that he committed any crimes against children. But in this book, it makes over 50 references to blood and blood sacrifice, namely one part to chapter on blood sacrifice. And Crowley says explicitly that the most suitable candidate for a sacrifice is a male child of uh, innocence and high intelligence. So, I mean, you know, and right before that, he's talking about sacrificing a goat. So, you know, we're not talking about metaphors here. I think Aleister Crowley. Yeah, but that doesn't fit what you just said that there's no, I mean, like, here's the thing. There's no evidence of him doing it, but he's writing about like, Hey, I I wouldn't do this, but if you're gonna do it. No. And that's the thing. He, he was obviously, you know, prolific writer and some chalk that statement up to him just being kind of like uh, uh, trying to shock people. But I agree with your, your instance there, Sam, that the, yeah, I mean, you can't really say those things and not be scrutinized. And if anything, I mean, besides the rumors that are said about Aleister Crowley, he um, there's little evidence that he did this stuff other than maybe the, accounts of what happened at his abbey of Thelema in Sifalu, Italy, right? This is where a woman died, a child died. Um, people, you know, alleged that Alistair was doing black magic out of there, and then the Italian government kicked him out of Italy, pretty much. All right, but, before we get into that, because you brought this up, did we talk about World War One and World War Two yet? No, no, we can get into that because the yeah. Abbey of Thelema is after that. So thank you for, for, you know, turning that. But yeah, so are you familiar with the sinking of the Lusitania? I Yes, I am. So Very. 
So yes. Aleister Crowley, believe it or not, was a passenger on the Lusitania weeks before it sunk, okay? Not only that, but at that time during World War One, Aleister Crowley was working for the British to sort of goad the Americans into fighting against the Germans with the English, right? So they were using Aleister Crowley as a double agent with the Germans. Aleister Crowley was friends with many German people because he was a member of uh, the OTO, right? This uh, sort of, it was after the Golden Dawn that he joined the OTO, kind of helped, you know, in many ways make it what it is today. Um, they credit him for a lot of the developments of the Order Templi Orientis. But yeah, because of his, you know, friendships in Germany, he was a very valuable spy for England. And one of the things that he was doing was writing pro-German propaganda in American newspapers when he was living in New York. This was to get Americans to kind of think like, oh, the Germans are really awful people. You know, he would write all these. So uh, it was anti-German, not pro-German. Well, that's the thing. It was anti-German in his motivation, but on, you know, the superficial level, yeah, it was pro-German. He was pretending to be pro-German in order to get the Americans to think the Germans were worse than they were, right? So where he factors in with the Lusitania is Aleister Crowley was very aware that the Lusitania had one key weakness, which was the fact that the coal burning was stored, the coal for the coal burning was stored on the bottom of the hull. So if a missile was shot from a submarine at this part of the boat, it would sink very easily. So Alistair, knowing this, told the Germans, hey, the Lusitania would be a good ship to take out, right? And they also kind of hinted at like, oh, the Lusitania uh, is carrying passengers. So these Germans are real evil for trying to, you know, kill passengers. So when the Lusitania blew up, the Germans said, oh, we were only shooting it because it had guns on it, which was true. But they lied to the Americans and said there was no weapons on the boat. It was only passengers. And that's what Really, it didn't at that moment set the Americans into World War One, but it was a huge precursor to the Americans getting involved with World War One. And false flag enough, after false flag after false flag. Yeah. We just get lied to so fucking much. So our military, which which to me, man, says we have all the power. We have yeah, all the fucking power. And we just let right. them do what we want they want. If they, if they could just do it, they would just do it. They need our permission to do all this shit. I Think wish people would stuff. wake up to that. So Aleister Crowley involved with this PSYOP, but just, let's just analyze the name, right? Lusitania, the ship, the Lusitania. Its nickname was Lucy. Lucy, short for Lucifer, right? So it was, it was you know, not a coincidence that, this boat was passengered by Aleister Crowley and then subsequently used in one of the first false flag psyops of the 20th century. You know, that's, that's a fact. So, you know, Aleister Crowley, that was kind of like the beginning, uh, as far as recorded history goes of his involvement in world war one. Now in world war two, he took on a much more interesting role now you know this is a movie in the waiting i mean somebody's gonna make a movie about this what we're gonna talk about and i think it's gonna blow you away sam so right. alistair crowley he's undercover he's double agent right the germans think he's on their side right 
And he's got all these friends in the Ordo Templi Orealis, right? The OTO. And when the Nazis really like take over before World War II, they take over all of the OTO lodges and kick Alistair out. They're like, you know what? Get this guy out of here. You know, we don't want him. I, I think something happened where he, uh, you know, he, he had to kind of show the Germans he wasn't an uh, English spy. So he goes to the Statue of Liberty and proclaims that he's an Irishman and that the Irish nation will be independent. You know, this is all to get sympathy from the Germans. And, you know, Rudolf Hess, who's like Hitler's right-hand occult guy, takes over all the lodges in the OTO. And this kind of starts a magician's battle between Aleister Crowley and Rudolf Hess, right? So Rudolf Hess, he's sending, you know, magic spells Alistair Crowley's way. Alistair's sending magic spells back. They're fighting, you know, with hexes and waving wands in their respective apartments and, you know, cursing each other. And um, one of the things that Alistair was doing for the English military was he knew how much the Nazis relied on astrology to plan their attacks and when they would strike. So he was feeding them false astrological information, right? So Aleister Crowley, you know, given his occult knowledge, was able to put on this fake astrological ruse that the Germans bought up. And then the English were able to, you know, know where and when the Germans were going to attack because of this, right? So Rudolf Hess, he's really like, hates Aleister Crowley, hates him. Now, this is where Ian Fleming comes in. Ian Fleming, who was associated with the Secret Service, you know, the intelligence groups, he, you know, they often recruited people like him, people who were able to write a good novel. And uh, he kind of goads Rudolf Hess to jump out of an airplane uh, over Scotland to fight Aleister Crowley. They kind of do like a trick and say, well, Aleister will be waiting for you here just, you know, show up and, and fight him, right? Wait, wait, I'm so sorry. So the official story about why Hess made his flight is not, is, that's not the truth? What's that? The official story for, you're saying Rudolf Hess's flight, the famous flight to England from Germany, his secret flight was to fight Alistair Crowley? Like seriously? Allegedly, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. Okay. I never heard that. That's fascinating. All right, what is the, what is the, well, the official, official thing story? is that he was there to meet with British royalty to try to bring peace. Uh, to, to the world, like to, to negotiate peace with England, rather. Yeah. So uh, that's Ian the official Fleming, story. Ian Fleming did kind of, that was part of it. But yeah, in his mind, he was going to fight Aleister Crowley because he shows up. That's amazing. This outfit where he's, you know, emblazoned with magical sigils all over his outfit. He jumps out of the parachute into this field in Scotland and he's quickly arrested by, you know, the the Scottish police, you know, and then Ian Fleming begins interrogating him. Uh, they're not able to get anywhere. So they, this is all, you know, allegedly this. Yeah. Is, we should also say that Rudolf Hess was a madman. I mean, yeah. legitimately an insane person. So. so this is all allegedly, but this could contribute what I'm about to say to his madness, because apparently according to Ian Fleming, Alistair Crowley was asked to come help interrogate Rudolf Hess. So Aleister Crowley uses this peyote that he got from Mexico and was using in his magical rituals to drug Rudolf Hess. And from there, they were able to get, you know, good information out of That's Rudolf great. Hess and probably contributed to his madness in later life. I mean, the guy spent the rest of his life in prison, I'm pretty sure. And, uh, 
And yeah, yeah. this is MK Ultra right there. Putting dude, someone. This is great. You dude. should watch him. You should watch this. him at Nuremberg, man. The video of, of Hess at Nuremberg. I mean, he's just his eyes are like, like wide yeah. open, and he's just looking this around. He's Coyote, probably. Yeah, he's, he's whacked down. out. And this is, and this is, you know, this is the inspiration for things like MK Ultra. We know Crowley was associated with people like Aldous Huxley, who was also a part of MK Ultra. We know, you know, this kind of thing happened allegedly, you know, in World War II. He gave Rudolph, but it would make sense, you know. Um, That's incredible, dude. So yeah, just imagine, you know, Rudolph has jumping out of a plane, you know, parachuting down, thinking he's gonna like battle Aleister Crowley. He's got all these magical, you know, items on That's him. A secret flight. He had to retrofit a plane. He had to make special like arrangements for this plane to have a lot of fuel just to make it to that part of England. And he, he, I mean, he really his piloting was actually quite brilliant because he had to pilot along the coast to avoid being detected. And he finally, I think, ran out of fuel and had to to bail. But yeah, I mean, it really was ingenious the way he got there. It's just, yeah, and apparently this Hitler sounds was like something so in a pissed. Mortal Combat, dude. Right? It's, it's, like, it's one of the wildest land stories. Land down, of the world. they have a fucking yeah. back, and they're just throwing fireballs at each other. <laughs> Somebody yells, "Fatality!" Right? It's just crazy, dude. Crazy, dude. It is agreed. So he gets kicked out of uh, Britain. Uh, gets kicked out of Italy. Well, who kicks him out? Is it the fucking Jesuits? Uh, that I don't know, but it was the government. Uh, according to the official records, yeah, there was some kind of death that happened at his temple of Thelema. And, um, and yeah, he was cast as like this awful Satanist person. They said he was doing everything from bestiality to Satan worship and and he gets kicked out of um, Italy. And then the English, they considered him kind of like a traitor because of his like pro-propaganda uh, for the German people. They didn't quite understand that he was, you know, intelligence. He never was arrested for treason, which is what most authors say, like, oh, this is proof that he was a part of the intelligence services, because if he wasn't, then they would have arrested him for treason. But he wasn't arrested. He was able to, you know, go to New York and spend the rest of his life in America. Um, he also lived in Paris. And in Paris, that's where he met a woman named Barbara Pierce, who uh, would later become Barbara Bush. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Or the mother hey, no, of Barbara the mother. Bush. Which is yeah. a very weird thing, too, when a, a woman names their daughter the same name. That doesn't happen very much, right? That's mostly a guy thing. When you name your son after you, very rarely. Like, Martha wanted to name one of our kids Marley Quinn after Martha. And I was like, first of all, you're not naming our, one of our daughters after the chick who wanted to bang the Joker. Yeah, that's what that is, right? Yeah. All right. You did that, and look how it turned out for you. Okay. We're not going to set <laughs> a, a daughter up. All right. Uh, but very rarely do you hear women naming their daughters after them. I don't know why that is. I think guys do it because it's meant to be like, because they pass your name on, which is interesting because women now are keeping their last name when they yeah. get married, they're just adding a second last name. 
I, I may have that jumbled up. I know the last name went from Pierce to Bush after she married into with George H.W. Bush, and then they had George Walker Bush. So, yeah, she was the daughter of Crowley, but Crowley himself never really acknowledged that. He was, at the time, doing this kind of exhaustive sexual uh, magic where, you know, he fucked many people and did a lot of drugs. So, you know, he never knew. We got long back hey, just real quick, I'll show you some photos. This is Rudolph Hess at Nuremberg just looking I mean just look at those eyes man those eyes have seen some shit look at him he would do this that's the psychologist behind him at Nuremberg the trial and he would do this shit where he would like put hit his head (laughs) during the trial I mean look at him look at you guys like he's like what the fuck how about the guy back at him it's like dude what what MTV video are you listening to right there (laughs) yeah well dude by the way just his eyes and eyes brows is that like every serial killer has that look by the way. Oh, like, yeah, totally. Here, I'll go back to it. Yeah. Yeah. He's- like, how many guys have you seen? Like, the guy that was behind the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he has that look. Um, Anthony like, yeah, Davis. Like- Anthony Davis has that look. <laughs> yeah. He didn't serial kill anybody last night. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, my favorite thing, go over. Look at the picture of him looking at Hitler. No, over one. Over to the side. <laughs> Here. <laughs> go down. Go down a little bit. Keep going down. There's one where Hitler's just sitting there and he's staring at him lovingly. I don't know where it is. Dude. Oh, he loved Hitler. Yeah, he was. Oh yeah, right Hitler. there, right there. No, go right. Where'd they go, dude? It was right. He was just staring at Hitler oh, with this, love. This. I got you. No, no, no. That wasn't it either. It's fine. It was funny okay. though. It's funny. It's like I, if I tell him that I love him, will I lose my job? Um. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, dude. So I just have to uh, correct myself. So it was Pauline Pierce, who's the mother of Barbara okay. Pierce, who became Barbara Bush. And by Pauline the way, Elsa Crowley, not not acknowledging Barbara Bush when she so looks like him, is exactly what Larry Bird did. By the way, have you ever seen Larry Bird's daughter? That is Larry Bird's daughter, and he will not acknowledge that that's his kid. And it's like. She has your face, homeboy. That's a bird. Yeah. I don't. I I missed that one completely. Yeah. um, So, dude, that's crazy, dude. So, real quick, what about Edward Alex Alexander Crowley, the Dark Legacy? So that that's his his real name. Alistair is just his his pen name, right? Alistair was only the name he gave himself when he was writing and doing poetry. So his real name would, was Edward Alexander Crowley. And uh, what I wrote there is, is the dark legacy of him. I mean, really the amount of people he inspired who kind of used the techniques he developed for bad rather than good. Um, it just outweighs the, uh, it's kind of outweighs the good things he did in a sense, because I mean, I talked about this on We the People Radio, another podcast uh, about how Alfred Kinsey, the, um, you know, one of the leading therapists in the kind of sex revolution was a pedophile and he was inspired by some degree to, uh, to do this stuff from Aleister Crowley and his books. I mean, he was a big fan of Aleister Crowley and Alfred Kinsey was, you know, I mean, a prolific child abuser he conducted these studies where over 800 kids were molested by a convicted pedophile in the name of science 
and Alfred Kinsey received awards as a social scientist of the 60s and 70s and, and was kind of one of the founding people of the sexual revolution that, I mean, Alistair very well kind of pushed into motion. Dude, we got to do an episode on that, man. Because that is something I think people want to hear about. Just what a piece of shit. And then he gets his own fucking show about him on Showtime. I mean, like, it's unbelievable when we look back at what Hollywood pulled on us. Yeah, and Aleister Crowley left his mark on Hollywood, like I alluded to. He was uh, good friends with Kenneth Anger. He was a, a, a... you know, not really a famous director, but he directed a lot of movies that were famous in the 60s, like uh, Lucifer Rising, which inspired Roman Polanski to make the movie Rosemary's Baby. And Lucifer Rising was uh, acted in by a couple of people who were part of like the Laurel Canyon scene. And those people were doing, you know, sex with children. They were, you know, exposing their children to sex at very young ages. And Aleister Crowley himself said, in his book uh, that the beast 666 advises that children be exposed to sex at ages as young as three years old. So this was not, you know, Yeah, Alistair Crowley needed his ass beat. That's really what happened. And, and, you know, it's, it's sad because there, for all of the evil and darkness he brought into the world, he did kind of bring some good into the world. And unfortunately, well, broken clocks right twice a day, dude, you know, it's like, But unfortunately, as far as podcasts go, I mean, I'm a huge, huge listener. I've listened to many, many thousands of podcasts. And uh, every time Aleister Crowley's mentioned, you know, he's mentioned in a pretty much good light, unless the podcast is like a really conservative Christian podcast. I'm not going to say the the person's show that I did, but I did mention Aleister Crowley. And he's like, hey, don't bring him into this. And it's just like, listen, dude. You know, you can do a million great things. The minute you say you should be having sex with three-year-olds, everything you've ever done has been thrown yeah. out the door. He didn't, he didn't say he didn't say that children as young as three should have sex. He just said that they should be exposed to sex. It shouldn't be. I like just taboo. think that's so fucking it's, stupid. Yeah, it's and and good. it's exactly what's going on with sex ed. Like these fucking. Yeah. Listen, dude. Here's what I want to say about. I, listen, man. As a man who was. Eight, eight months ago, didn't have kids. And a man who has kids right now, I'm really, really tired of people without kids telling everybody how kids should be raised. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry because, you know, I'm going to get shit because Jan Smith or whatever his name came on. We had a big argument about whether people should happy, you know, people who have kids have, I forget the exact thing he said, but along the lines of like, if you don't have oh, kids, Jan you haven't Irvin? fulfilled your life. What? Jan Irvin? Yeah, whatever the fucking dude's name. I've, I've invited him that out guy, a thousand times, have debates, he won't listen, do it. Let me tell you, that guy That guy argued on uh, Greg Carlwood's podcast, and Greg Carlwood was kind of like, dude, you know, screw you. That guy doesn't belong you know, on tinfoil hat ever again, but that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but, but, but I just want to say, like, there are so many people without kids that don't understand like how impressionable a child is. Like it's a blank canvas, man. Anything can imprint on these kids. And to sit there and be like, yeah, you should expose them to sex at three years old is I want to sm- I want to find out where this dude is buried. 
fucking unbury him, beat the fuck out of it, that corpse, and then bury him again. Because anybody that puts in print that a three-year-old should be affected, and anybody who follows that shit, I'm so sick and tired. Of, I like, dude, if you don't have well, kids, I'm yeah. fine with it. I'm, I'm fine with, with you, it. Sam, because I think that anything, you know, we can say that the other his other teachings weren't uh, dark like that and maybe weren't uh, as nefarious, but to me, anything that flows from the mind that also thought that it's probably got some bad intention, like some bad juju on it. You know yeah, what I mean? I mean like it's, it's going to end ridiculous. up in the same place. Yeah. And you look at these kids, this sex education shit, and these people that are like celebrating that they're teaching gay sex in sex ed. I have no problems with homosexuality. And I have no problem. Listen, I understand that there are some kids who grow up that are homosexual and they don't, they, there's nobody there to teach them the way. But Initial sex ed is not about, hey, man, how do you eat better ass, okay? It is about what a penis and a vagina is. That's what sex ed is. And what, uh, what happens when they have sex, okay? Listen, man, if somebody's gay, dude, I support them living their lives, man. And, be, and like, we should have something set up so if a kid comes out that he's protected from bullies and stuff like that. But the notion that these people are taking their own shit and trying to fucking push it on the kids is fucking revolting to me. And these edgelords in comedy who think that they're so fucking edgy by, like, liking cuties and shit, it's just like, you're lazy, dude. You're picking on kids that can't vote voice their opinions back and they're all tough guys and they're all tough people until the horde comes out and then they cry about getting picked on yeah i mean we've it, seen it so many times uh guys like that that yeah they're big tough guys and then when it happens to them you know god forbid they get me too or called out how fast yeah, do they change they to, fucking they change lock face? their profile they don't tell anyone where there's where they live because black people are coming to kick their ass or they go and to they, the other side i mean we know a few guys who who were on the left far left to begin with all all about me too and women's rights and everything and that now they're after kind of being exposed to the reality of it have switched sides uh yeah yeah i, I mean, agree with that but anybody who says sex should be introduced to children at three crazy. is a giant scumbag and it's like like you had me for a minute on Alistair Crowley was an interesting guy and i was like yeah man it sounds like he's interested but then i think this is just a trust fund kid who he's just went around There's no doubting no, he's dude. interesting though he's interesting Listen, but i just I, like three and then you got the, this too. fucking kingsley guy Who's like running pedophile yeah. fucking? His th- I, I'll fight that guy too. I'll fight his grandkids. Where's his grandkids? <laughs> I'm kicking his grandkids' dicks. Just go. That's for your grandpa being a piece of shit. So if anyone knows this guy's kids or grandkids, let me know where they are. I, I want to fight them at Ellis Mania. <laughs> and Bobby well, Lee. And Bobby Lee. Dude, to, I, uh, I do want to fight Bobby Lee. That, Sam. What? No. Again, I'd love to be in your corner for that. But anyways, I, I agree with you. I, I'm just as fired up about it as you. And I think that's why I set out to do this research. Because like I said, I've only heard him cast in a good light. I'm a good magical. And that's, dude, you know, not to kill the cat I should mean, stop right there. Right? You kill the cat. It's yeah, funny how he's casting I this good light, though. People, but sorry, I, none of his contemporaries thought cast him in a good light, right? I mean, he was known commonly as what the wickedest man alive, uh, the wickedest man in the world at the time. Yeah, no, he was by all accounts of anyone who got close to him, a narcissist and ego, 
egotistic asshole and he you know like i said emotionally and physically abused people who were his consensual partners now let's take their word his religion for states you, know, you shouldn't you shouldn't you shouldn't impose yourself on anybody so to a degree i mean he did believe in you know not hurting people but well, he also took a lot of ancient really knowledge that. mark and flipped it into some occult shit like you know uh so above so below which is basically like what's on your inside is what you're projecting to onto the outside and that that's an ancient thing dude like that is very ancient a very yeah. ancient knowledge tremendity well that's shit. the foundation to you have to understand you have to understand those things to have any kind of foundation in magical working and uh, you know like i said well, my Alistair point mark Crowley is that he took it and perverted it because that's what they that's what they yeah. they took this the the hindu symbol for peace and turned to a swastika and now anytime anyone sees a swastika they start running around like the fucking like the sky's falling unless it's fucking microsoft's logo right and then they took the the the, the symbol yeah. for the universe and turned it into a pedophile symbol so now you if you see that anywhere you're like oh pedo symbol but it's like no that's a symbol for the universe but that's what they do and alistair crowley was a big part of that which was being a lazy hack, and you even said it earlier, being a lazy hack, taking good shit and flipping it to evil because he's a trust fund kid. And dude, like, don't get me wrong, I love Robin Williams, man. I know it's like, oh, where'd this go? Robin Williams stole so much material because he was a fucking rich kid. He was a rich kid and he didn't really have this drive to fucking think. So he would, like when he lived in San Francisco, he'd go into Oakland, steal all the Urban Axe things, go into San Francisco, do his, do their acts, and then they would find out, beat the shit out of him, and he'd throw them money. That's all Alistair Crowley did was take all this beautiful shit, and I'm not yelling at you, Mark. I'm yelling at all of Alistair Crowley's fucking offspring that I will fight at Ellis Mania, Okay. All he did was take this beautiful shit and flip it and act like he a tough guy to get pussy. And it's just like he's a fucking a loser and he's a twat. You know, you really hit on, by the way, you really hit on something there, I think, Sam, because how much of this was just for him to get laid? Like, it it was a lot of it, right? It's like like chicks like this occult shit. Like, oh, I'm in a crystal. Oh, my God, really? And it's just like he's just getting ass. Yeah, I mean, sex... Sex was the primary motivation in his life. I mean, coming from such a sexually repressive environment, he made it his mission to be the antithesis of that. I mean, all that was pure. He lost when his father died. He saw that side of Christianity that was growing inside of him kind of turn into this darkness because his father died. And nobody's perfect. And I'm not trying to defend him. And I'm glad you, you say everything you say because I agree with it. And I'm, I'm sad that Alistair does get such a good rap from, you know, certain people in this conspiracy field. Now, you know, that might be an oversimplification because it's it's thanks to these podcasts that I was able to even, you know, get this research. Well, People Mark, like you're to- wonderful. You're wonderful. And I'm not yelling at you because, you no, know, I love no. you to pieces. No, and I, but I'm glad you're being But it's this like up. the people that like Alistair Crowley are fucking rich kids. People came yeah, from no. rich kids who want to act like he's so dangerous because they like their own. The guy went to a fucking private school. He's a trust fund kid. And he went around acting like he knows some shit. They're like reality, They're bored. They're bored. They're like yeah, him. he's just trying to act like a tough guy. And, like, the more and more I think about, like, how much of this is even fucking true? I mean, like, like dude, the guy told tall tales. 
You know, I mean, it's like, I want, I'm not saying that what was said here today isn't real because there's probably a lot of it, but I'm sure a lot of it got super fucking blown up. Yeah, dude, there's a lot in common between the way, the way his, the, the book of the law was dictated to him and the way, uh, the, the Scientology texts were dictated to L. Ron Hubbard, right? Oh, I mean, dude, well, yeah, right. and, and the Book of Mormon, dude. They're, no, and, no, dude, the Talmud, the Talmud, let's right? Stop, let's stop right there, though, because Scientology founded by L. Ron Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard was a friend and, and you know, pen pal of Aleister Crowley. Now, L. Ron Hubbard allegedly was a part of naval intelligence, and he was sent to understand what Jack Parsons, who was another associate of Aleister Crowley, was doing with his so-called satanic rocketry and all this stuff he was working on. And uh, yeah, I think uh, L. Ron Hubbard definitely, you know, that's a whole other episode, man, right there. But L. Oh, Ron yeah. Hubbard- you know how bad L. Ron Hubbard is? Dude, Aleister Crowley called up Jack Parsons going, dude, get out of there. That dude's gonna bang your well, chick. L. Ron and sure Hubbard, shit, he L. banged his chick. Ron Hubbard stole his, his girlfriend, and then Jack Parsons had to do a sort of satanic uh, ritual to see. Now, L. Ron Hubbard steals Jack Parsons' girlfriend, gets on a boat, and tries to sail, uh, you know, somewhere from Florida, right? So Jack Parsons travels to Florida. He does this magic ritual, changing the weather, and then L. Ron Hubbard's ship loses its sails in the storm and has to come back to this the must be and some chick i mean holy shit dude dude well, i'm telling you guys Cameron. what do we know so far dude dude everyone goes to prison for what? Was, every guy in prison's for in prison for pussy and drugs this is all about pussy and drugs this whole story yeah and well it's all about that man and here's the thing this, dude real quick i'm sorry mark the biggest thing is that's no, how okay. powerful pussy is okay and wh- how powerful is pussy is the only thing that can defeat pussy is another pussy <laughs> <laughs> it puts shame to these rap beefs today you know these guys are going out in rap songs these guys are like sinking each other's ships and shit with magic spells yeah like, dude fuck, this yeah. is some real harry potter shit right there yeah fucking <laughs> fucking private school dorks fucking like dude i'm fuck with the occult man and i'm not trying to belittle occult because i believe that it's you're you're summoning dark art shit but i don't know man i didn't mean to get angry at you mark because i i thought this was a wonderful episode i just no, it really upsets dude, me when adults try to take advantage of dude. children and i want to fight fucking all of them Dude, that's why I did this research, and I know you're not angry at me, man. I mean, that's why I wanted to present this case so that the listeners, the awesome listeners of Tinfoil Hat, the swarm, can understand that Aleister Crowley is no idol to worship, and nobody should be worshipped as an idol. But in that light of him being a devious beast that he was, he did have some knowledge that's worth learning. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Well, tell me what though. Tell identify some 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 of his knowledge that you would say is worth. Yeah, what, what should we? What should we should say? What should we be like? Okay, hold on. Besides the three year old sex shit, killing the cat, and, <laughs> and knowing who Jack the Ripper was. Outside of that, like, let's just hold on. Yeah. What about? What about? Please allow me to, to go. I mean, he was, okay. by all accounts, a spiritual genius. I mean, really a genius. I mean, his writings are prolific. He wrote far more than any other occult author was willing to publish. And that is a service to humanity in well, itself. What, did he, what, is the, him, what are the points 
Mark, that he made Please, that we should be like open minded to it. Okay. Um, the law of Thelema do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. What that really means is that you, as a human being, need to find your true will, your will that is given to you by God. That mission is what you uh, are here to do, you know. That's and a lot just of people fucking rehashed from before. I'm not yelling at you, Mark. I'm yelling at fucking no, no, no. the notion that this guy said anything that case. wasn't said a thousand times before he showed up. That's my problem. I'm, no, I'm not mad at you. I love you to pieces. And this is a great episode. But Alistair Crowley was the Carlos Mencia of fucking <laughs> spirituality. He jacked all this shit. And this episode just proved it. This, dude, he jacked all this shit, remixed it. You remember when You remember when Carlos Mencia got on that dock? He's like, I take your shit and then I just remix it Mexican. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's all Alistair Crowley did is, I take your shit, I remix it spiritual, and then I bang chicks. And I, that's all it was, man. And it's just, I, I'm, dude, I, I, thing, anybody Before, listening to this? I know Jason Louv's a big Alistair Crowley, and I'd love to have him come on and discuss this. Anybody, and not that you're same. not an expert, because you obviously did wonderful research, and I learned a lot today. But I also reinforce what I believe, which is, Fuck Aleister Crowley and the click he claims. You know what I'm saying? Like, fuck That's that. That's fine. Dude. And I, you know, you're, you have a right to believe that. And I'm not here to dispute that at all. What I will say, though, to try to defend him at least a little bit here is that, um, you know, he developed this kind of spiritual knowledge into a working theory and practice that other people would not have had access to it. But who has taken this mark and done good for the world? There's putting it out is one thing. Who do we see following him? That's such a good point. Yeah. Jay Z is a piece of shit, man. The guy's a piece of shit. And he fucking touts Elsa Crowley all the time. Well, you know, it's like Beyonce is all into that dark arts theme of shit. There's a saying, right? Judge the religion by its followers. Judge the religion by its followers. So yeah, what are the who are the followers here that we we, can we blame the man? who invented the gun for all the deaths that have come Yeah, but dude, a lot of good was done with gun. Hunting, they hunted, you food. And you just made my point. But I ask you, Mark, who has taken this and done something good with it? Who has taken these laws of, of, for your, and and done well, and and like, wow, the world's a better place. Well, I think uh, numerous people in the podcast, Numerous people in the podcasting realm who take this kind of information and use it for their own self-improvement. I mean, magic and the occult is is definitely a There's whole white magic out of- there, brother. I get what you're saying. But who on a where on a global level has this guy that is a spiritual master, where has his teachings helped helped humanity? I mean, I am not equipped to answer that in the okay. way you want and me to. And I respect to, that but answer. What I will say is that, you know, like my metaphor or allegory with the gun, I mean, this stuff is a weapon. You can use it for good or evil. And Alistair But it sounds like it's just been used for write, evil, dude. That's my only problem. But he did not he did not only write, you know, black magic. He wrote serial. literally Holy talked magic. about how he abused people. <laughs> Right? You talked about how he killed a cat, how he knew Jack the Ripper, didn't say anything, how he fucking, how, and and, and dude, I mean, I'm just trying to find out where he knew a fucking, a boat that got sunk 
that people were killed on and he was a part of that. Where is the moment where it's like, listen, dude, he did some bad shit, but this is where the good stuff happened. And I'm opening this to anybody. I, I like, dude, yeah. if I'm wrong, no, I want to be listen, wrong. I didn't, I didn't set out to do that kind of research. What I set out to do was prove him as a, a bad person because and there's won. numerous podcasts that talk about all the good things he's, he's done. And when I found that there really isn't that much tangible evidence of any real crimes being committed other than the ones I talked about today, I decided to reserve my research for the more important and notable events that marked his life, like the channeling in the Great Pyramid, like the Abram Mellon ritual at the Bolskin, like his interactions in Mexico. This guy, he adventured all over the world and he did contribute to occult knowledge in the modern day. And uh, that is a good thing. Whether you And I'm okay with that. I understand what you're to, saying. To play, to play devil's advocate here, possibly literally, uh, this is... <laughs> Uh, you know, by na by its nature, a secret. You know, sort of uh, yeah. the rituals are kind of meant to be held in secret, and and it's so it's possible that people are out there doing these things to good ends. But I, I mean, I don't. There are no famous examples. And though, I'm open-minded to it. And I'm if I'm wrong, please come well, on the show and, and tell me where I'm wrong. But no, what I've we'll seen is this dark art shit that involves just egos, uh, power, yeah. fucking yeah. pedophilia. Now, that's abuse thing, of though. people. I just Ego, do thou wilt. Power. Sounds like fuck. Do what you want. Fuck, fuck who you hurt, and fuck the consequences. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I have no problems with being wrong. Yeah. I invite anybody listening just, to this Sam, to figure I it mean, out. It's just the problem is is your interpretation. While very well understood, I agree with it. It's just a little lazy on a scholarly or academic well, level. Mark, to come I've to literally asked you to tell me where you 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 are telling me I'm being lazy. I've asked no, you no, to no. show me one instance in which the his his why. teachings were used for good. Uh, that's all I've asked you. No, I've no, asked you this for ten minutes. I'm just no, where no, was no, it no. used for good? No, what I'm disputing, what I mean, it's lazy to conclude that he was a pedophile. How is it lazy, Mark, when you're no, the third show no I've done on this and nobody's told me one thing that this guy <laughs> did that was good? Sam, he's talking about pedophilia. That's the point he's saying. It's it's lazy I'm to say he's a pedophile. That it's, yeah, it's there's no evidence, Sam, and you can't just accuse he's a pedophile. of that. Or else we're the same as the Me Too people if we just That's accuse him That's not true at all, Mark. No That's not true at all, Mark. You can't write a book telling me that you should – exposing yourself to three-year-olds is okay, and they go, there's no actually proof he didn't do anything. It's impossible, Mark. It's, it's ridiculous to I defend this no, guy. I agree with you. So it's I like, why you are you saying it's lazy, is. Mark? You know what's lazy? It's like sitting there going, hey, dude, we don't know he did any of this. The guy literally wrote a book, and you literally just told me that this piece of shit Kingsley guy fucking traumatized 800 children based off it. And it's like you're yeah. giving a guy the benefit yeah. of the doubt who doesn't deserve it. No, and, and then I, you're calling me lazy. You're the third guy to come on here no. to talk about Elster Crowley and have zero things to tell me where this guy made the world a better place. He let some people on some boat get killed to fucking produce a war. Like, where is the moment that this guy's a good dude? Please tell me, yeah, please tell I'm my lazy ass where that is. All right. So to clarify, 
I'm yeah. not saying that you're being lazy. You literally Sam. said I'm that, Mark. You that said I was can, lazy. And no, well, that's why I'm clarifying. That's why okay. I'm clarifying. So what I mean by that is that that conclusion that you're coming to is one that has been made by people time memorial about this. And I agree with it. I'm not here to dispute that he was a bad person. But all I'm saying is academically, the people who have researched Crowley have not been able to find evidence that would convict him in a court of law. So that's all so, we're here to say. So, I think so a, a guy person, who I think says that sacrificing a young boy is the best one yes, to do it never came out. There's no evidence. You may ever think maybe he sacrificed someone, Mark? Like, hey, Sam, there's no evidence if there's Sam, no children. That's the case. That's the case that I am here to make, Sam. But the problem is, is we cannot make these kind of huge accusations why can't we, Mark? Having the ability Why? He's dead, and he's influenced a lot of scumbags. Why can't we make these conclusions? I won't be able to make my point if you don't let me finish. I'm saying that he, you know, by all accounts is a bad person. Okay. Person, but you say that a lot. If you were to be, if you How's were it, to Sam? Does it sound bad? Law, yeah, it's bad. Hey, 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 Mark, we, we, you, it's gone like you're underwater again. Um, Can you... To hop out and call back in again. All please, right, final thoughts continue. here, Mark. Make your case for Elster Crowley being a good dude. He's not saying he's a good dude. Come on. He's saying okay. he's, he's, so, he's worthy on. of investigation, I think. All right, go on. Listen, what I'm saying is Alistair Crowley is not a good dude. By all accounts, he was abusive to the people in his life. He created an excuse for bad people to use occult rituals for bad reasons. But if you were to try to use this kind of evidence in a court of law, it wouldn't hold up because there's no substantial evidence that he ever committed a crime against a child, even though he did write about, you know, suggesting those kind of things in his books. So okay, have- and I understand what you're saying, because what someone's going to say is just because somebody writes a, a horror film doesn't mean They've killed people. Yeah, and Sam, I like I said, and what we are going to do on the Patreon on October 11th is go into Crowley's, you know, influence on Hollywood and, and how he really did influence people who are now doing bad things. And when you ask me, you know, what was one single good thing he did in the world? I can't tell you anything because guess what? I didn't research that. I didn't try to find anything good. I just tried to find what was interesting about his life. And, uh, you know, if you had somebody like Tobias Churton, who's made his career of only saying, you know, good things on an academic level about Aleister Crowley's written numerous books, that would be someone who you can have this debate with. But me, Sam, I have to, you know, uh, kind of set aside any tension here and just say, I'm on your side, buddy. You know, like I agree, Aleister Crowley should never be spoken of in a good light. He's done a lot to influence bad people to do evil things and you know this passion that you have right now this fervor that is the beauty of the age we're living in right now because now we have the gnosis the knowledge to understand what these people have done behind closed doors and use it to fight them and take them out and you know I probably agree, never maybe we wouldn't know this stuff so in that sense there is some kind of 
good notes to the at least the publicity of Aleister Crowley. Fuck Aleister Crowley. Hey, bud. I got a jam. Real quick, you did great. I love you to pieces. I got passionate, not with you, but with Aleister Crowley and all of his bitch-ass friends. So listen. take it personally. Tell, tell, Tell everybody where they can find your podcast and where they can find you on the internet. Well, you can uh, check me out. My podcast is My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Um, <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram at My Family Thinks I'm Crazy or at my uh, other Instagram, Wayward Intellect, W A Y W A R D I N T E L L E C T. Um, that's just my Instagram. And then follow uh, Podcast Zero on Instagram if you haven't already. That's an awesome do a great podcast Sam's doing all about spirituality. And uh, we're just trying to teach people, you know, the things that will help them improve their life, you know, and, and maybe not get so worked up about Aleister Crowley. <laughs> I fucking hate Aleister Crowley. And when you told me about Kingsley, that fucking just flew me off because I just have kids Kingsley's and like the these fucking fist fucking phonies are just out there. Yeah, just, no, he's a and so I'm is sorry. Kenneth I just want to fight the- all these fucking pieces. Yeah. of shit. Mark, I love you to pieces. You're doing a great job with the booking on Patreon and zero. And you're going to start helping me on tinfoil. You're a wonderful dude. I love you to pieces. I just rage against these fucking scumbags who just think that that they could just, like I do. There's nothing worse than somebody like you know. I was walking my kids today, and there was no. I couldn't go on the sidewalk, so I, I had to go kind of into the street a little bit. And this woman is coming in her Prius, and it, and there was nobody else on the street. And there was another, there was another lane. So I just kind of looked over, and she just looked me right in the eye and just went right next, like boom, right next to me instead of moving over. And I'm like, oh, dude, I, these ch- people. And it's just like children are She's so probably like. probably a pedophile. No, that's not what I'm saying, dude. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's just like, you know, with the cuties thing, these people, these edgelords coming out and acting like they're dangerous. And it's just like. I mean, I don't believe in punching up or punching down, but if we're going to use that model, there's no more punching down than children. And the fact that adults think it's okay yeah. to manipulate them and abuse them, I, it just makes me so fucking mad. And that's it. So you, just, when I heard about that Kingsley thing, it fucking upset me because parents, you know, it's like Joe Rogan got in trouble for that trans thing. It's like we see bad parents all the time. Hollywood, sports, I mean – Todd Marinovich's dad made him be a fucking quarterback and he ended up flamethrowing his life because he didn't want to live that life. So why wouldn't there be parents doing that to their kids, the trans stuff too early? It's just like, dude, let kids live their life, man. Let the stop with your bullshit. And when they turn 18, if they want to dress like the opposite sex and take hormones and tattoo themselves all up, do whatever they want, man. I don't care, man. Once you're 18, lay yourself up like a Christmas tree, but <laughs> stop pushing your shit onto children. And this dude was a big part of that. And that's what upsets me, man. Do you know this? This I mean, like when we look back on what they were doing on MTV and Nickelodeon, we'll be like, what the fuck? Because we didn't know what was going on behind closed doors. And now we know. And Alistair Crowley was a big part of that. And that's all I gotta say. So, and I put this out to anybody. If you want to come on my Patreon and argue with me about the positive uh, influence Alistair Crowley's had, doors open. Just show me your credits that you're not just some wingnut 
You can come on and debate me all you want about Aleister Crowley. I, I put it out. Sure. I know I'm opening the floodgates, but that's what we are. I, I got to go one? because I got kids. Thing? What, Mark? Can I say one thing? Yes. With your wonderful I don't think, hair. I don't think you're lazy. You're one of the hardest working men in comedy and podcasting. Do. I'm just and every pedophile, dude. Oh, I do too. And everybody want, who wants to learn more about what Aleister Crowley did when he was in Hollywood should subscribe to the Patreon if you haven't already and check out our episode on October 11th. Uh, that's the night before Aleister Crowley's birthday. So we're going to, you know, talk a little bit more about him, some of the darker Hollywood stuff that he did. And, uh, and yeah. Mark, I love you. You're a, great guy. Guy. You're a great addition to the group and I appreciate you do and you're booking great people. And that's why I'm super thankful that you're part of the show because my life, I've been stretched so thin and everything. You're really helping me and I hope everybody appreciates it. And it was a spiritual spirited debate and Mark is very smart and he's a good guy. Thank you. I don't know. His argument today was a little fully retarded, but that's okay. <laughs> I love him to pieces, and we'll do it again. Check out his podcast. Ooh. Guys, if you want to find him, I'm going to list all of his uh, links in the description. You can check below, and I appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for tuning in, Tinfoil Hat. Thank you, Johnny, for uh, hanging out and uh, helping with the show. I appreciate you very much, and uh, I love you all, Swarm. So uh, we'll talk to you soon, okay? Take Tim care. Hat. We, 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 we go deep, homeboy. <laughs> Your mind. <laughs> Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. <laughs> That's some injured dimensional shit. <laughs> Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. There's, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack. Tim foil h